Well, hello everybody. I'm Hal. Melanie's not here because she's recuperating from a medical procedure, but we got a question that was kind of directed at me. So we thought it'd be appropriate if I just did a solo version of our podcast. I want to welcome you to Making Biblical Family Life Practical. This is a follow-up from episode number 245. I had to look it up and make sure. Episode 245, Melanie and I were talking about the books that we have been reading since the pandemic and we find some time on our hands and such like. We are pretty voracious readers and we have found a number of different authors that we enjoy that both of us liked, some that we discovered after we got married, some that we introduced back and forth, you know, that had in our background and said, hey, have you ever seen this one? And uh, one of the best things, if you're a, a voluminous reader like we are, is to find an author who has written a lot. And so finding series that you say, hey, I like this author. I like the kind of things that he or she does. Um, and there's more of it. Oh, great. That's awesome. <clears throat> well, at any rate, we got a call on our listener response line. And if you're interested, that number is 919 919- Two nine five zero three two one. We'll put that in the show notes and show it on our YouTube channel as well. But we got a message, and I want to play that for you right now. Hi, Helen, Melanie. I have been listening to your podcast for a while, and I just wanted to tell you what a blessing you have been to me. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed the episode on the books you all like to read, and you kind of teased us a little bit with. How likes to read history books, but you didn't get into it, and I would really like to know what kind of history books Hal likes to read. Again, I just want to thank you for being such a blessing. Keep up the good work. God bless. All right. Thanks, Amy. That's really encouraging. That's uh, Amy from West Virginia. And um, so since the question was kind of directed at me, I thought I would take an opportunity to elaborate a little bit the kind of books that I prefer that are not quite Melanie's cup of tea, just a matter of personal taste and preference, not a judgment in any sort. We did mention that I like history, and closely related to that, I like biographies. Uh, One of the things I found with biographies, when I started reading them back many years ago, particularly if I was reading about a man of proven worth and character, I found myself um, involuntarily thinking in different situations, how would such and such a person deal with the, the temptation I'm feeling? You know, how would he deal with the difficulty or the quandary that I'm facing right now? And I thought, you know, this is a good thing. This is, a, this is following the example of somebody with a proven record when you can look at their historical, their historical accounts and say, hey, this is a, this is a useful thing. <clears throat> now, I'm going to talk about biographies in the second segment. Let me go back, though, and we'll just talk about the pure history. And I've got several books I want to recommend that I have really enjoyed. And in answer to one of the questions, the kind of books that I like to read, I'll be honest, it's pretty eclectic. Um, I don't have a particular pattern or a particular strategy to my reading, but things that have been recommended by people that I trust or things that I run across and say, hmm, I'm curious about that subject, that's what I end up reading. Now, it's October here as we're putting this down and uh, we're thinking ahead to Thanksgiving coming up. You know, seasons do continue even during the pandemic. And um, you might be interested in something related to the Pilgrim Settlement. Now, of course, the classic book 
is William Bradford's book on Plymouth Plantation. Okay, now that's that's a first-person account. William Bradford was governor of the colony. He was there from the very beginning. It's fascinating reading. I really enjoyed of Plymouth Plantation. But if you want something that's a little more modern and covers a little bit longer territory with the historical perspective, not just the first-person account, but you know, let's look back and see how things ended up. This was a really good book, okay? This one by Nathaniel Philbrick uh, is called Mayflower, okay? Nathaniel Philbrick, the author of The Heart in the Sea. This is a um, this is a book that covers not only the Mayflower pilgrims, but goes on to the next generation, okay? That's an interesting thing because he does a good job covering, I felt like a very sympathetic view of the pilgrims and what they did. and really brings out one of the outstanding things of the pilgrim colony was their relationship with the Indians along the coast. They worked really hard to build a relationship of trust and mutual respect, um, even from the perspective of here's the highly developed Western English colonist moving into a society that has been Native American uh, it's still, you know, agricultural and all the rest of that. And <clears throat> the first generation got along very well with the nearby tribes. But Philbrick goes into the second generation as the English colony is expanding and comes into more conflict with the tribes as they move further and further out into the territory, which culminated in King Philip's War, which was a dreadful, brutal event for both the English and the American Indians. And so... It's an interesting book, worthwhile read, Mayflower by Nathaniel Philbrick. Now, um, one author that I have enjoyed several of his books is Stephen Ambrose. He writes popular histories. These, all of these are popular, not academic histories, okay? So they're accessible, they're readable. Um, they are, you know, they're not, they're not real short, but they're good and you can keep up with them. It's not something that you're going to get too bogged down on. Stephen Ambrose wrote... A number of things about the Second World War, but I found it. I found some of his non-World War II books to be very interesting as well. This one, okay, and I apologize for the reversed image there. Okay, Undaunted Courage, Undaunted Courage by Stephen E. Ambrose. It's a story of the uh, of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Okay, uh, again, it's pretty detailed and it's. Uh, an excellent book. Another one that he wrote, which I enjoyed. Now, I really like trains. I am fascinated by trains and railroads, and so uh, this was one that I was going to end up reading. Anyway, <clears throat> he wrote about the building of the Transcontinental Railroad, which was completed in 1869. In fact, it was something that was being uh, discussed even during the war between the states. It was a project that Abraham Lincoln was interested in, trying to link up the settlements on the West Coast with the East Coast, which, of course, at that time extended to the Mississippi and to Kansas and Texas. And so uh, I think it was understood that if they could improve the transportation between, say, the East Coast and California, that would knit the country together and allow settlement of the interior. And so that's what, uh, that's what they did. And so this book called... Nothing like it in the world. Okay, by Stephen Ambrose. It is the the men who built the Transcontinental Railroad, 1863 to 1869. Now, something that I found uh, sort of odd that I would be reading this because this doesn't 
naturally grab my attention, but I had heard a recommendation. Um, Ernest Shackleton was one of the polar explorers from England during the early part of the 20th century. And um, he is not, he was not, you would say, the most successful explorer. He was involved in the race to try to reach the South Pole uh, first and was not successful. <laughs> and uh, there there's some other disappointments in his life. But he put together an expedition with the purpose of a land navigation across the the uh, the Southern Pole. Okay, to go across from coast to coast through the South Pole um, across Antarctica. So he put together this expedition um, as the First World War was breaking out, and uh, at the time you know, the time of hostilities began in 1914, he was just about ready to launch and. He basically put the question up to the Admiralty. Well, the First Lord of the Admiralty at the time was Winston Churchill. And <laughs> Churchill <clears throat> said, you know what? This is important for England and for the world. And so you go ahead. You've got your ships. You've got your men. Everything's funded. You're ready to go. Just watch out for submarines and, and take off. And so he did. <clears throat> so they launched the Endurance and another ship, I think the Aurora, and went to uh, Antarctica. They were going to, to try and... Uh, to go from one side to the other, and that's why they had a base built on, or a base to settle on either side of the of the continent down there. However, one problem: um, the Endurance, which was the ship that uh, Shackleton was on, the Endurance got caught in the pack ice and was frozen up solid for quite a few months. Well, when the pack ice broke, the ship was actually crushed and sank. They managed to evacuate the crew and a lot of the supplies and get them off onto the ice cap. Well, then began the thing that he's most famous for. They had to figure out a way to survive on the, <coughs> on the, Antarctic, and, uh, the Antarctic ice cap, the ice flows and whatnot. And then they had to figure out how they were going to rescue themselves. And so they, um, they managed to travel a certain distance and, and put up a semi-permanent cap and then a camp, and then Shackleton and five companions took an open boat and they went 830 miles across the Antarctic Ocean to try to find help from a whaling station on the southern tip of South America. They were successful. Unbelievable odds. They managed, and uh, Shackleton managed to, um, to arrange the rescue of uh, not only himself and his companions in the open boat, but the 22 men that they left behind on the ice floe. So everybody from the Endurance survived the trip. They survived the ordeal. Absolutely incredible story. And so the book is called simply South. It's just South, and it's by Sir Ernest Shackleton. It's the journals of his last expedition to Antarctica, which is not exactly quite true because he did make one further expedition and died en route, so he didn't actually get to Antarctica there. A uh, couple other books on the historical side. A couple of years ago, I had the uh, I had the the privilege of interviewing the grandson of General George Patton. Uh, yes, that General Patton. It's interesting. Uh, Robert H. Patton, his uh, grandson, never met the general who died. I think in 1946, if I'm not mistaken. Any rate, immediately after the war, um, he wrote an interesting book called Patriot Pirates, which is about the use of privateers by the Continental Navy 
during the War for Independence. Interesting book, and I can highly recommend that. But he told me at the time, and this has been several years ago, he told me at the time, I'm working on a book about war correspondence. Okay, so I was watching for that, and one thing led to another, and I missed it when it first came out. But I finally found a copy recently, and I read it this summer. There's an interesting little incident in there where uh, war correspondents were not great favorites of most of the generals in the Civil War. And one of the Union generals was informed that a certain war correspondent had died during the previous battle, that he had, he had been killed sometime during the day's fighting. And the general's response was, good, then we'll have dispatches from hell before breakfast. Well, okay, that's the title of the book, Hell Before Breakfast. <laughs> it's an interesting book because I didn't realize this, but um, the practice of embedding reporters with the traveling armies was not really a thing before the Crimean War of the 1850s. And so in the Civil War time, it was still a fairly new thing that coupled with the telegraph. The use of the telegraph actually shaped the way journalism is done. Um, the idea that we have to get we have to get the story into the first, into the lead paragraph. It's got to be summarized and tight and a minimum number of words because there's only a certain amount of bandwidth on that telegraph wire and it's expensive. So that, that's just an interesting thing how the technology shapes the message. Neil Postman said that, right? The technology will tell you how what kind of message you can send. Okay, one last thing in this segment I want to talk about. Um, Dan, Daniel Allen Butler has written a couple of books, one that I read uh, a little earlier this summer called The Other Side of Night. If you've ever read um, A Night to Remember, that's kind of the definitive book about the sinking of the Titanic, and it's from the, I think, the late 50s, I believe. Well, Butler knew the author of, the other, of uh, A Night to Remember, and he decided to write a book about the ships that responded to the distress message from the Titanic, and it's called The Other Side of Night. And it, it's a fascinating book in itself. It's really a story of two ships and two captains with very different responses, and I won't, I won't spoil the story for you, but you might look that up. He also wrote a book called Warrior Queens. Here's the title, Warrior Queens. You can read that backwards, right? Okay. Uh, the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth were ocean liners, and they're very fast and very large ocean liners that were converted into troop ships during the Second World War. So this is the story of those two liners and their service in military times. So, uh, interesting, there's just a, an eclectic look at books that I have read recently or remember with some fondness on a variety of historical topics. As I said, I'm not, you know, I, I like military history, I like American history, but I'm also interested in other things too. So it's pretty broad based. Um, we have, as we said, episode 245. We talked about a lot of types of books that Melanie and I both enjoy. Uh, also, if you look on our blog, we have some things like interesting books from 2019. The the uh, article from last, um, I guess about the first of the year, where I talked about a lot of the things that I'd read of, again, a variety of things of different reasons, different types that you might find interesting recommendations, okay? Um, anyway, I mentioned our listener response line, and I do want to say if you would like to comment or make a request or a suggestion for a future show, you can call our listener response line at 919-295-0321. 
And uh, we hope that you will join us again on making biblical family life practical, knowing that there's a lot that goes into a biblically oriented family life. And sometimes, sometimes it's something that may not reference scripture exactly, but it may fit into a biblical mindset. We hope you'll join us again. I'm going to give you another segment after this to talk a little bit about some of the biographies that I've found very useful and hope that you'll join me for that. Okay. Until next time, I'm Hal and I'll say hello on behalf of Melanie. Thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to Making Biblical Family Life Practical with Hal and Melanie Young. If you found this program interesting, challenging, and encouraging, why not join us on the web? at halandmelanie.com. That's H-A-L-A-N-D-M-E-L-A-N-I-E.com. Or follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook slash Melanie or Facebook.com slash Raising Real Men. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join us next week when we'll be back to talk about making biblical family life practical. Until then, thank you and God bless you for listening. 